Everyone from the Backburner Podcast is sponsored by Birch Barrel. Uh, you can visit them at birchbarrel.com. Check out the entire selection of Birch Barrel's uh, grilling line. Uh, if you've never seen it, you know, it, honestly, go to YouTube, watch the videos. I know a lot of people see the Birch Barrel and they're kind of like, ah, what's the point of this? I've already got my own kind of grill and stuff. But I mean, once you see this and what it can do, it is a completely different experience and it tastes just absolutely amazing. You can switch it up. It's all live fire cooking, but the ability to hang uh, pots as well as hanging your meat above the fire, adjusting the, that for temperature so that you can roast, you can bake, you can grill, you can barbecue, you can smoke. Um, really, really awesome. So check them out at birchbarrel.com. If you find something you really like, you can use my promo code burner, B-U-R-N-E-R at checkout for a 10% discount. Hey, welcome back to From the Backburner Podcast. I am your host, Jonathan O'Dell, and we are probably, um, this will come out probably just as the, the dove season starting, uh, but we're not focusing on doves today. I have a, uh, a rather unique guest with uh, a really great organization, um, and I just couldn't wait to, to have him on the podcast. I wanted to just have a chat with him about it. Um, you'll you'll figure out pretty quick um, that this is this is not uh, your average hunter. Even though he's pretty much a hunter like all of us, I've seen his his wall. Um, uh, he was just showing me photos and videos and stuff of these animals he's taken. It's it's pretty impressive, but uh, it's a bit of a unique story. So let me introduce you to uh, my guest today. His name is Dan Ferraro. Hey, Dan. How you doing, Jonathan? Hey, great, Dan. Um, so you have an organization. I think that's probably the best place for us to start. Uh, you started an organization called No Excuse Hunting and Outdoors. Yeah, Is that right. I started. The, I started the organization No Excuse Hunting and Outdoors in probably 2015 um, after I lost my eyesight in a car accident in 2014. So I am a blind hunter, and I know that sounds kind of like a opening remark or opening introduction at some 12-step program. <laughs> I guess I, I guess it actually is for me. So it, there's there's a lot to unpack there, um, <laughs> what you just kind of revealed. Um, I, I, let's start with, um, let's talk about the organization first okay. and foremost. I, I think that's, that's really important um, and a lot of the things you've got going on. So, so you were impacted by kind of a sudden onset disability. We talk about onset hunter, late onset hunters, adult onset hunters, you know, a lot of those things. This is, this is an adult onset blindness that led you to founding this organization. Um, and, and so tell everyone what that is. So I started the organization because while I was going through physical therapy, trying to get used to walking again and learning how to be blind and get around, use technology, uh, I also had an elk hunt that I was going on, and I had to figure out how I was going to hunt. And people started asking me, well, wait a minute, you're blind. How are you going hunting? I'm this way. You know, I can't hunt. I'm like, well, why can't you? You can still hunt. You just got to do it a little bit differently. Let's figure it out. And that that was actually the genesis for starting No Excuse Hunting and Outdoors. Um, We've put on some hunts for people with disabilities. We've gone hog hunting at Blue Rooster Ranch, which is a great place. If you haven't had a chance, I'd recommend getting up there. Um, we took a group of, uh, several individuals with disabilities out hunting. Uh, one 
young guy, Justice McNeely, he actually shot about a 600-pound hog. And I think it was massive. Um, then we also have put on some uh, deer hunts. Uh, I've taken some guys to Oklahoma for archery deer, archery whitetail. And then we this year we're doing muzzleloader whitetail in Oklahoma. So I'll be giving away a hunt to somebody with a disability, a physical or visual disability. Uh, last year, we also took a group of guys to New Mexico for cow elk, and that was a lot of fun. I think half the fun I had, or most of the fun I had, was actually sitting around the table talking with these guys, because that's, that's the biggest thing about doing things in the outdoors. Outdoors is not just about, or success in the outdoors, it's not just about harvesting an animal, landing a fish. It's about the social aspect. Uh, you know, half the fun of it is just sitting around giving your buddies a hard time for everything from forgetting bullets to forgetting toilet paper. I mean, that that's that's just part of what it's all about. And also you get to meet up with a lot of people that you may not get to meet up as frequently as you would like during the regular year. But when hunting comes around, that's when everybody gathers. Um, you know, fishing trips, everybody gets together. And it's just fun to sit around a campfire, drink a beverage of your choice and relax, tell stories, some true, some not so true. You know, it's just, it's just half the fun. Right. And I, I think I think a lot of people with disabilities that don't do things in the outdoors kind of miss out on that. And I think that's what we're really trying to overcome. We want to expose people to that kind of stuff. It's a social event. I mean, some people are happy getting a cup of coffee and a manicure and a pedicure. Uh, but, you know, other people, not so much. Let's get in the outdoors. Let's sit around a fire. Let's let's enjoy nature. That's one of the best healing. And, you know, for me, it's actually kind of my therapy. I love listening. <laughs> I used to love getting out, seeing the animals and experiencing nature. Now I just get to listen to it and smell it. So, you know, it, but it's still, still rejuvenating for me. Right. Well, so, like I said, there's so many different, pieces and aspects to this thing. Um, let's talk about, for, for one thing, you're talking about pretty much any and every disability. It isn't just sight related. I mean, it could be, you know, any, any sort of physical limitation. Sure. Yeah. Any, anybody from, you know, some people are in a wheelchair from spinal cord injuries. Some people have had a limb amputated. Some people are, you know, quadriplegics that are out hunting, doing things, um, fishing, uh, some people, you know, are like, you know, some kids are born without or deformed limb. They're called limb different. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of disabilities. Uh, and it could even be somebody who had a stroke and just has a hard time getting around. Uh, or, you know, a heart attack and ha- ha- is severely limited in their mobility. One of the great things about here in Arizona is Arizona's got their CHAMP Hunter program which stands for Challenge Hunter Access Mobility Program. Now, what that does is if you're mobility impaired in some way, it allows you to, you can get a permit from the Arizona Game and Fish with a doctor's note, um, and it allows certain things. It allows you to, you can hunt from a vehicle for people who that are, you know, depending on your mobility issue, uh, and you can, if I were to wound an animal, I could have my hunting partner um, f- deliver the final shot if the animal goes into an area where I can't get to it or, you know, it's extremely hazardous. So there's, Arizona's got some, some good things for people with disabilities. 
They also have a, um, a limited number of dil, uh, <laughs> deer and elk tags that they put out. Uh, you know, I, of course, think that should be higher, and I'd like to see them put out some disability um, champ hunts for javelina and maybe some other game species. But, uh, they, you know, the hunts are available, and there's a plenty of accommodations. Plus, there's a lot of groups out there that also help people with disabilities. Now, in Arizona, you can get a you can donate a tag to either a child with a disability or a disabled veteran. Um, but general people that don't fit in either of those categories, you're not able to donate a tag to. Um, so that's why most of the organizations in Arizona that deal with disabilities help kids or disabled veterans because you can get a donated tag. My organization, we try to help everybody. I mean, we'll help kids, we'll help disabled vets, but we, we try to help everybody. And in order to do that, I have to buy the tags out of state. So when I took the guys hunting in New Mexico, I bought the cow elk tags. Uh, I pay for the hunts in Oklahoma. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's fun to get out and do this stuff, especially with somebody who may have decided not to go hunting anymore or do things in the outdoors because they have a disability. And it, it really makes me feel good to get somebody back into it uh, after they've kind of given up on it or just thought they couldn't. Yeah. I, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, is it predominantly, I mean, you, you were a pretty accomplished hunter before your accident. Um, and so, you know, that was, that was kind of a part of your life um, pre, you know, pre disability. Do you find, you know, a lot of the folks um, that, you know, you're, you're, you're reaching out to or, or helping or all that. Are there some folks who just like, it's, it's something they never thought about doing. And now, you know, like this opportunity, like, I'm just trying to imagine, you know, I know the folks who've had the, who've had the experience in the past and it's like, you know, wanting to get back out there or, you know, finding a way to do that versus, you know, someone who's, who's never been in the outdoors or done these kind of things. And now it's like, here's a whole new kind of sensory experience. Mm -hmm. Um, for them, you know? Well, the, I find that most of the people that I'm with are people that have either been out and kind of got away from doing things because of their disability. Uh, I haven't had too many people that haven't done hunting at all. Um, and I, I, if somebody, I would love to help those people get them interested in it. Um, I, I, I think it would be great. Uh, but you know, some people are apprehensive about it. Um, and things like that. So, and I understand that. So just introduce them slowly. And the biggest thing is, you know, if you're, if you're going out on a hunt and you know somebody with a disability, take them along with you, let them see what's going on. Let them experience the hunt as best they can. Better yet, let them sit around the campfire and listen, everybody give each other a hard time. You know, that, that's the funnest part. I love that part. <laughs> so, it, it, yeah, I mean, I, I, Hunting for sure, you know, in, in a lot of cases, it's, it's weird because a lot of times hunting in and of itself tends to be so solitary depending on mm -hmm. what, what species you're hunting. And, you know, it's, it's about being quiet and not, you know, some of the other stuff, but at the same time, there's also that camaraderie of, um, you know, I think in the, in the middle of the century, there was a lot of deer camps and a lot of that, that social aspect of everyone getting together to go hunt you know, every year or something like that. I, I, I see it a lot down in Yuma with the dove hunt mm -hmm. where, you know, you've got generation after generation or, you know, 
friends are now bringing their, you know, friends who, who, you know, the, the old man used to bring, you know, their, their son or daughter now, like he's bringing his kids and it's just, you know, it's a much bigger affair, um, overall, but, uh, yeah, experiencing the outdoors. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it, there is that yeah, kind of that, that tribe or club that we're in. <laughs> yeah. You, you, know. you, you got to pass it on. Cause you know, you introduce a, introduce somebody new to it and they get, I'm sure they'll get hooked on it. I've, I've not been around too many people. Like when I could see, I'd been around some people that had never been hunting before. And once they went out and tried it, um, they were hooked, you know, that they, they loved it. Uh, and I don't see why it would be any different with people with disabilities. You know, one of the things I saw in 2009, the state of Alabama did a, a, a study because, well, everything needs a study these days. And they did a study comparing disa- hunters with disabilities to hunters without disabilities and why do we hunt. And they compared, they, they asked everybody questions. You know, what do you consider your, your hunt successful only if you bag a trophy buck? Do you consider yourself, your hunt successful if you saw a game? Do you consider yourself successful if you, I forget the other ones, but one of the major questions was, what did you like best? The uh, social aspect of it. And the, the study actually said that they were surprised to find that hunters with disabilities were the same, were statistically almost the same as those without disabilities. And I was like, okay, you're surprised. We're still people. Um, And so the the only difference was that hunters without a disability had a slightly higher percentage of people who considered their hunt successful only if they got a trophy buck. Hunters with disabilities had a slightly higher um, success rate if, you know, for the social aspect of it. And, you know, I, I think I fall into that latter, latter category. Like when I'm out hunting now, I really don't get excited about anything until, I mean, the shot. Okay. You know, I, I just shot. It's the same as shooting at a target for me. I don't get excited about it until I put my hands on the animal until I'm, you know, feeling the body of a deer or an elk, then, you know, trying to find the rack, um, things like that, or holding a duck. Uh, I, that's when I get excited. That's when I kind of get all giddy. Um, and then I start thinking like everybody else, okay, now we got some work to do and here come the, here come the stakes. Um, so yeah, I, some things have shifted for me a little bit, but yeah, as long as you get out there and do it, just try it. And like I said, if you have, if you know somebody with a disability, take them with you. Even if they can't get out and hunt, they can sit around the fire with you guys talk about it, help plan the hunt. I mean, the hunting seasons here are only, you know, about a week long, give or take, depending on what you're hunting. But so much planning goes into it. You got to, you know, get out and scout. You choose your gear, um, sight in your rifle, sight, you know, make sure your bow's dialed in. Um, <laughs> go to Bass Pro Shop and or your fish and tackle store and pick your bait that you want to use. Um, you know, there's so much that go into it in planning a trip. The actual hunt is almost not as much for me. Um, so, yeah. Hmm. Well, so we'll, we'll get, I want to get in, into part of that discussion with you about, you know, um, 
obviously, you, you know, you've lost one of the primary senses. Um, <laughs> when, you, when you think about hunting, we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. But um, just to, to kind of stay where we're at, I mean, I have a little bit of experience because I've, I've seen this and, and gotten to, to kind of experience this. But as you can imagine, you know, for the listeners, there are each disability or actually each person um, with a disability represents or presents a a new set of challenges um obviously to to overcome i mean i have seen um you know some folks who've who've gotten out to hunt you know with with various different disabilities like you know as you were talking about quadriplegics or something and and the the new specialized equipment that has to be kind of invented because because mm-hmm. there isn't, you know, like a store, oh, let's go to Bass Pro and, you know, find, find, find a way, you know, to, to get someone to hunt. But there are some very creative minds out there who develop uh, mounts and, and chairs and, I mean, like all kinds of gear to be able to get folks who have a disability out in the field, you know, and, and pointed in the direction of success. Um, there are there are a lot of there are some companies out there that actually make um, products specifically to get people out hunting, fishing, and in the outdoors. I mean, there's a um, there's fish fishability. They make automatic fishing reels, so you can just push a button and reel in your fish. Uh, there's um, Be Adaptive that has a lot of hunting and fishing equipment on there, and there's other stores that unfortunately are escaping me right now, but there are. There are things out there for people in wheelchairs. There's special gun rests that are available. Um, the third arm is what's considered to be like a, a zero gravity gun rest, gun mount. Um, honestly, I couldn't tell you exactly what it is because I, I put my hands on it, but I still couldn't picture it in my mind. Uh, but there's there's plenty of equipment out there. Uh, you just got to look for it, and that's the problem. A lot of people don't know that it's out there, so they don't even look. Uh, and you know, one of the good things is there's some great off-road wheelchairs now that are out there. Now, of course, they're almost the same as buying a buying a car because they are they get a little proud of them things. But there's um, the track chair, which is essentially um, a wheelchair with tank treads that'll go just about anywhere. Um, drawback with them is they're wide they're big and they're heavy uh and there's no suspension on it so you feel every little bump <laughs> there's there's uh something called a terrain hopper which there's actually a store here in tempe um that sells them puts them together and sells them uh that is actually a, a four-wheel drive wheelchair that uses motorcycle tires that thing is pretty cool um and then there's also something i just found out about uh recently is called the um, Outrider Coyote. It's similar to the uh, Terrain Hopper. It's a four-wheel drive wheelchair that uses, like, mountain bike tires. And it's like somebody put two of the e-bikes together and made a wheelchair out of it. And it is pretty cool. It's It's got a lot more range than e- either of the other two. It's a lot lighter, and it'll fit in the, in the back of a midsize SUV. Um, but again, you know, I mean, the prices on those things start from about $13,000 to $30,000, depending on your particular needs. So those wheelchairs are not, they're almost priced in a way that make it, um, 
they almost exclude people from getting them because insurance doesn't cover that type of thing. So one of the things my organization and what I'm trying to do is I'd like to be able to purchase one of those items and keep it for people to use because you, you can't rent them either. That's the problem. So that makes that's almost that keeps people from getting into the outdoors. Um, so uh, my organization we'd like to purchase one at some point and let people check it out and you know return it. Uh, that's there's a lot of barriers to the outdoors for people with disabilities. And, you know, we just got to overcome those barriers. Yeah. No, it's, if, if you could imagine these, these track chairs, honestly. So when I was in the army, um, we used to, we did some NATO operations, you know, working with other countries and stuff. And in particular, this one time we were working with Germany and the Germans have this little tank, um, called the weasel and it's W or yeah, W I E S E L. Um, if you ever look them up, they, they actually, they've been calling this tank a weasel going all the way back to world war two. It's this little kind of small ride on. And, and the ones, the more, the mod, more modern one that I was, I was familiar with, it had two people on it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it was, it was a sit on top. It's not like a sit inside kind of tank. And it remind it chased me through the woods of Louisiana, <laughs> uh, me and me and a bunch of guys from my unit as we were, we were causing havoc and terror and stuff. Um, playing the bad guys, but but if you if you Google this weasel tank, I mean, imagine that, but just make it sizable for one person with a chair on it, and that's what a tractor <laughs> kind of looks like, you know, and having the one gun on it mounted to it, um, you know, to, to mm-hmm. kind of move around. It's 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 what it always reminded me of, except you know, it didn't have the the terrible German camo paint job that most <laughs> of their vehicles have, and and things like that. But uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, Obviously, that that kind of gear is pretty expensive, um, you know, and and some of it is very custom, uh, you know. As, as you were showing me earlier, uh, uh, that video of of uh, one of the guys you work with, and and this you know custom built three thirty eight Lapua mounted to one of those track chairs. Um, yeah, but what he, you know, the cool thing about it is it doesn't have to be expensive. Him and his dad went to um, Home Depot, got a bunch of parts, and um, he designed it, and his dad built it. And it works just fine. You know, one of the things I recommend for people that want to get out and hunt with a disability, you know, when they're trying to choose, let's just say a rifle for hunting. One of the things I recommend is, you know, get a, get an AR platform rifle. They're, they're extremely easy to customize if you need to. Um, You know, you can get different stocks, different foregrips, you know, whatever. They're almost like Legos for adults. You can do whatever you want to them. And, you know, the other thing I always recommend is put a, put a muzzle brake on it. That'll tame the recoil. And the good thing with the, with AR platform is you can get them in a variety of calibers. Um, any, anywhere from, you know, 223 all the way up to 300 PRC, 300 Win Mag. Um, of course, they, they, those get a little on the pricey side, but, you know, you can get it. And, you know, one of the most common rounds if somebody wants an AR style one, I'll say get a seven millimeter 08. Works great for anything out here. You know, it's 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 a decent shooting. It's got a good, it's got good ballistics to it. It's flat shooting, and like I said, you can get it in an AR. Um, one of the things I also recommend is people, you know, practice your shooting. Like when you have a disability, or for me especially, I'm not exactly stealthy moving through the woods anymore. So I've got to be able to practice taking longer shots. Do I want to? No. Do I, you know, would I rather be close up? Sure. But 
I've practiced shooting rocks out at 800 yards. And so with that practice, for me, like I said, I'm completely blind. I can't see a thing. If you're not talking to me and you've showered, I don't know you're sitting there. So I have to have good communication with my spotter, the person who's talking me in on, a, on what I'm going to shoot at, whether it's with my rifle or, or crossbow. And that's what the majority of the practice I need is. Right. So I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that. One of one of the specialized pieces of equipment that I, I got a chance to see, and I don't know who the genius was that thought about this um, and created this, but um, so there there was a the gentleman was blind, mm-hmm. um, but he needed to hold the the rifle and pull the trigger, and so they had developed this scope. Now this is you know pre electronic technology and all that other stuff. Somehow the guy devised. A, somebody had devised a periscope mm-hmm. um, where it like, if you can imagine like, you know, having a scope and then it makes a complete 90 degree turn going straight up. Um, and then, you know, another 90 degree going back above the guy's head so that the spotter could literally physically be looking through the scope mm-hmm. right behind the, the gentleman on the rifle um, to be able to shoot on something. And then just, you know, talking him through that. I mean, like that was, to me, was just like, that's some impressive, impressive work on, on, you know, creating something to, to still, you know, be legal within the law and, and accomplish, you know, what you're after to do. So, yeah, really the biggest part of it is, you know, figure out what you want to do, then just start thinking outside of the box on how to do it. But, you know, the good thing about things now is there's a lot of technology that can be easily adapted for, um, for situations like, Right now, my the my product that I always talk about, and I try to get you know people with visual disabilities, heck, even anybody, a regular hunter, I, I'm really big into Tacticam. I love Tacticam. Um, it's a little camera system that fits um, on that you, that you can adapt to your rifle scope. It's a camera about the size of a let's say a Surefire flashlight, um, and there's a a mount that it will fit into that fits to your rifle scope. They're called the film through the scope mount. And what it's for is, you know, you just click that button and turn it on and it starts recording what you're seeing through your rifle scope. Um, But the cool thing about it is it's also got a feature that you can turn on the Wi-Fi capabilities of that camera. And when you do that, it'll send the image that I should be seeing through the scope to my iPhone, iPad, whatever. And... Whoever I'm hunting with, then we'll just say, you know, up, down, left, right, shoot. When I get the crosshairs in the right spot, and that's what I've been using, and it's it works great. The other thing I try to get people to do when I talk about Tacticam for sighted people is, you know, if you're out with somebody who's maybe a less experienced hunter, use the Tacticam, put the FTS on your scope, because I mean, everybody wants to talk about, oh yeah, I just made a great shot. On a, on a trophy bull elk. You want to record that and show it to people, but you can also use that version for people, or the, the way I use it, for people with less hunting experience. So like if you're out there with, with a kid that's on his first deer hunt, you can actually look at what they're seeing through the scope on your phone and help guide them to a better shot placement. You know, that deer's quartering away, quartering towards you. No, you want to shoot here a little higher. There you go. And, and teach them that way. I mean, I remember when I was um, taking my first shot on a deer, I'm like, oh, man, am I putting this in the right spot? Is this where I want to go? And I could see. So 
that, you know, if I had somebody looking at something like that when I was first hunting, that would have made me feel a little bit more comfortable at that shot. Um, and so there's a lot of technology out there that it wasn't intended for people with a disability, but it sure works great. Right. You know, one of the, one of the things that, you know, everybody asks me about, you know, long distance shooting, what do I need for long distance shooting? I'm like, well, you need a, you need a good firearm. And then the second thing you need is a better rest. You need a solid rest if you're going to take a if you're going to take a a shot. And you know whether it's long range or not, you need a solid rest. And there's some great products out there that I love. I, I I'm a big fan of Triclops, which is a little. I don't know if you are you familiar with that. Uh, I don't I don't know. So Triclops is like a little gun vice kind of thing that fits on top of a tripod. So if you're glassing and you find your deer, you can pull out the triplot Triclops, put take it off put it on your tripod and then put your gun in there, tighten it up and you've got a real rock solid rest. It's great. I love it. It works great for me. I've used it uh, with my rifle and my crossbow. Um, So, I mean, there's a lot of things like that, or, you know, you can, if you find something that doesn't quite work for what you need, there's home Depot (laughs) or Lowe's, you know, go go get what you need and start figuring things out. Yeah. So, um, I guess, yeah, like the, the, I was trying to imagine, you know, what it's like to, to now hunt the way that you do, you know? Um, and I was like, okay, you know, like I'm trying to imagine me bird hunting without being able to see, right? Like, like, it's just like, it's mind blowing to me to kind of go, okay, you know, like, like go duck hunting with your eyes closed or go dove hunting with your eyes closed. Like that's that's pretty like just insane to, to, you know, try and consider, you know, especially doing it on your own. Like, you know, okay. Well, yeah, just, just make sure you bring a lot of shells or a lot lighter to carry when they're empty. So just bang away. <laughs> right. um, you know, I will obviously none of the hunting that I do anymore. Um, and this was the hardest thing for me to get used to was I can't get out on my own anymore. I've got to have somebody come with me or I've got to hire a guide, um, to take me hunting, especially if I want to be successful. And, you know, I did a lot of hunting before I lost my eyesight, but I wasn't always successful because I did a lot of things on my own. Um, and now I pretty much take out a guide. I, I, I hunt a lot with, um, Goodman's outfitters out of, uh, Payson, Arizona, Gunnar Goodman. Um, <laughs> he, he, he's a good guy. He's been stuck with me for the last eight years hunting. And so, yeah, we've we've got our routines worked out pretty good. Yeah, obviously, obviously having that longevity probably helps both of you. You know, uh-huh. in terms of getting better and better. You know, each each time and each you know, as you're progressing, I think you know it'd be just you know, just kind of better than than starting off you know from scratch or right. <laughs> fresh and, well, I've, I've done that too. Um, right. You know, I've, I've got, like the first year I went on that uh, archery hunt in Oklahoma. You know, I took my crossbow out and the, the guide, you know, I went, I told him what I wanted, you know, make sure that you keep looking at the screen. Don't look up. Don't look down at the screen. Then look up at the animal, look down at the screen. Don't keep going back and forth. Just stay focused on that, on that screen. And just tell me left, right, left a hair when I get real close up a hair and then fire, shoot, whatever, whatever word we decide on. And, um, Usually, if, if we use the word fire, by the time I hear, I'm already pulling the trigger. Uh, so, it, it, you know, the, the guys have done it well. <laughs> the, 
the funniest story is that in 2015, I went on an antelope hunt in uh, New Mexico. I was, I was previously hunting there with another blind guy who really helped me out. Um, yeah, let me back up and tell this story. So after I lost my eyesight, my buddy Brian and I were trying to figure a way that I could hunt. And, you know, I had called to some of the, um, some other organizations and one of the, uh, organizations that deals with disabled veterans and they wouldn't even talk to me because I wasn't a disabled veteran. I wasn't trying to get help from them. I just wanted, you know, maybe some information to lead me in a direction of what, how I could do it, you know, and they wouldn't even talk to me. Uh, so I was like, okay. And that was actually the biggest genesis for me starting no excuse hunting. Um, but I got, we were trying to figure out a way for me to hunt and we were at a gun shop in Chandler trying to, you know, reinvent the wheel, devise a way for me to do it. And a, a guide named Rex from, um, uh, the Navajo nation came in and said that, you know, he had hunted with somebody who's completely blind and he had a camera system that he used. And so I later got in touch with the guy with the camera system named Mike Sanders in New Mexico. And he talked with him and he agreed to loan me his um, camera system. Him and his wife actually drove from New Mexico to um, <laughs> Shooter's World in Phoenix. And they showed me the camera system, showed me how to use it. And we used it. And by the way, do you know how hard it is to to find a place to let a blind guy shoot? You know, yeah, yeah. I, I was trying to find an indoor range where we could go shooting, and I'd call up several places, indoor gun ranges, and say, "Do you let blind people shoot?" Click. Uh, so <laughs> it took a while to find a place, and Shooters World was definitely more than uh, more than willing. And I think they were actually probably more than just a little curious how we were going to make this work. Uh, so, you know, we figured that out and he actually loaned me his equipment and then I was able to purchase my own equipment and, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. I went hunting with him on, um, the first successful hunt I did, uh, being blind was Mike invited me out to go on a bison hunt in New Mexico and boy, was I nervous. Oh, was I nervous? Um, here's my first chance, you know, my first It wasn't my first chance at an animal, but I was just really nervous about it because my previous one, my previous hunt was not successful. And so Mike shot his his bison and then, you know, it ran a little bit and he had to shoot it again. And I'm thinking, oh, man, you know, this guy's used to being blind. He's used to hunting this way. I mean, he's he's hunted pretty much any any animal. I went to his house on the way to that hunt and I was feeling his wall. <laughs> it, 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 I was going around feeling all the mounts he has on his wall. I mean, he had everything up there. It, it, it's weird. My wife asked me, why do I always get the animals mounted or keep the antlers? It's like, well, I can't see a picture, so I've got to feel them. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so when it came time to, for me to shoot, um, we were trying to figure out which one to shoot, and I finally shot the animal, and I put in an, a, another, you know, I worked the bolt and put in another round, and they go, okay, he's hit. He's running. I'm like, crap, I just wounded a buffalo. You know, I, I, great. You know, I, I'm going to have to have somebody shoot it. I just, you know, I, all these thoughts were running through my mind. And, and then he goes, okay, he's down. And I'm like, what? Yeah, he ran about 30 yards and fell over. So I, that, that was a lot of relief. But in August that year, I went back and hunted with the same, um, 
land manager and we went out <laughs> we went out and uh we glassed up a an antelope that just kind of stood up about 200 yards away from us and he got me on it and i said okay make sure you're looking at the screen don't keep looking up and down up and down at the antelope stay focused on that screen and he got me in position and i shot and then with the recoil of my rifle he lost the image in in the viewer that i had so he's like wow where'd that antelope go did it go did it go running is it over the hill already was there a wash back there somewhere i couldn't see and he's going on and on like this for a couple minutes just trying to look and finally i said well is it laying where it was standing and he looked and he goes yep he's right there so um i think that surprised him too um but that trip was actually a lot of firsts for me. That was the first time I took an airplane, uh, a plane trip on my own. Uh, a friend of mine was supposed to drive me there, but decided at the last minute he couldn't make it. So I scrambled and I had my wife book me a flight, and I made arrangements with the guide to pick me up in Albuquerque. So I drove to the or I I drove. <laughs> uh, I I called Lyft and got a ride to the airport. Checked my rifle, and you know those. <laughs> The people at the at the airport, when they see a blind guy checking a firearm, <laughs> <laughs> that scratches a lot of heads. Um, so I got my rifle all checked in, and my I decided to call my mom and let her know, "Hey, mom, you know I'm going." Uh, she's like, "Where are you?" I'm like, "Well, I'm at the airport. I'm going to uh, I'm, I'm I'm going to Albuquerque for my hunt." She goes, "Well, I thought somebody was driving you." I'm like, "No, I'm at I'm I'm at the airport." Well, who's with you? Well, nobody. It's just me. And my mom, my mom was, you are not getting on that plane. And I'm like, well, mom, I'm at the airport. I'm getting ready to get on. So, you know, I'll call you later. So mom was, mom, mom was being a mom and flipping out. I mean, you know, at the time I'm 42 years old. My mom's freaking out, but moms are moms. And I said, look, mom, I promise I'll call you as soon as I get to Albuquerque. As soon as the guide meets me, you know, I'll call you when I'm in the truck and we're heading out. And she goes, okay, you better. So I called my mom. And I said, hey, mom, I got on the wrong plane. I'm in Dallas. Oh, she was not happy. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was not happy. Um, so, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that hunt was a lot of fun. I, I had a good time with it. Um, uh, I've had some pretty good adventures. One of the things that, when I went on my first hunt, um, yeah, a- after my accident, it was February 19th, 2014, I woke up three weeks later in ICU. You know, I had multiple injuries and I couldn't see. So when I got home a month, a uh, month and a half later, after being in rehab and you know trying to trying to trying to figure things out, uh, my mom was also staying with us a little bit to help get everything settled, so my wife could actually go back to work. And I said, "Hey, mom, did I get anything from Game and Fish?" And she said, yeah, you got, a, you got an envelope. I'm like, I was hoping for a big envelope because, you know, that means a refund. Yeah. And no, she goes, no, nah, it's a little bitty thing. Crap. I just got drawn for bull elk. Now, how many <laughs> people have ever said that? Crap, I got drawn for bull elk. And because I had no idea how I was going to hunt. I mean, I even, I was, I was, I gave away one of my rifles to my dad and now he won't give it back. <laughs> um, so, you know, a lot of things and that's how I started. But on that first hunt, I, I went out with um, Goodman's Outfitters, and I didn't insert myself into that hunt. Um, 
I sat around, you know, when, when they would go scouting or looking for stuff, I sat in the ranger, you know, like fe- kind of feeling sorry for myself. You know, I'm blind. I can't see whining, you know, listen to a crow come by. And finally I was like, you know what? No, wait a minute. If I'm going to do this, if I'm, if I'm not going to give up hunting, if I'm not going to enjoy the outdoors anymore, fishing, whatever it may be, I've got to insert myself into this stuff. So I did, you know, the next time they came back, you know, I, I started going out with them. Um, when they were hiking and granted, I was still going through physical therapy for walking, trying to learn how to walk with a cane and be blind, but you know, we made it work. And after that, you know, it was a whole different mindset that I had to get myself into. Instead of thinking that I can't, I had to start thinking, you know, why can't I? And so we just had to find a way to make it work. Yeah. No, that's, that's, I can't even imagine that challenge kind of, you know, nearly starting all over again. I mean, you still had your skill set, but now it's got to be used in a completely different way. It was making me think about it a little bit. I I wanted to ask you, so I know it's, this is going to sound really strange, but um, I always talk about squirrel hunting as a very sensory experience. I love squirrel hunting. I love squirrel hunting. Um, And so, you know, like one of the, the, the tricks that I, that I'll use, um, depending on, on what's going on, you know, in, in the hunt or, or whatnot is, you know, if I, if I'm not seeing, um, mm-hmm. things, um, I'll sit, I'll stop and I'll sit and I'll close my eyes, um, and trust my ears more just, you know, shutting down mm-hmm. one of those, those sensors just so that way the other ones are more enhanced. Do you find that now that, that you've lost your sight? Like, did you notice like a step up in any of the other senses or, or kind of a heightened awareness through other, other means? I'd say it's more of a, an awareness. Like my, my hearing didn't suddenly get better. Or my smelling didn't suddenly improve, but your brain retrains itself to, I guess, pay more attention to some things. I mean, you know, after the car accident, I've got, you know, pretty, I've got a pretty bad ring in my ear. I've got tinnitus. Um, and it's definitely worse after my accident. Uh, from the head trauma. I, so I don't think I necessarily hear things better, but I pay attention to it differently. Right. Um, so yeah, that's, that's definitely part of it. Um, I can't rely on the site. So yeah, (laughs) we were sitting in a ground blind, um, in unit 22 waiting for some deer to come in and I was hearing something. I was, I was hearing, you know, as I told the buddy, I'm like, you know, there's, I think there's some deer, you know, over our left shoulder. And he goes, nah, there's nothing over there. Next thing I know, here comes a doe walking out. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, there's there's things like that. But, you know, one of the, speaking of, you know, the sensory stuff, I went on a, a champ hunt in 6A, which is uh, any elk tag. And it was, you know, late October, but there was like a second rut coming through. Uh, there was a really bad storm that day, and the elk were bugling, cows were mewing. I mean, things were screaming and I could hear them all around us. So that was really exciting to me. Um, and you know, Gunner, my guide had me lay down in what he says is mud, but I know we were near a cattle tank. So who knows what it was. <laughs> um, and, and I was able to, I was able to, I was able to get a, um, uh, a decent bull and, you know, but that, that sound, you know, the, the hearing that, that actually got my heart pumping a little bit hearing that just like when you're out turkey hunting hearing the gobbles now i've never shot a turkey 
I, I, I not gotten a turkey when I could see, and I've tried several times now, but yeah, I just haven't made it happen. It's funny. I think I'm the only board member with the National Wild Turkey Federation that's never shot a turkey. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it, definitely pay attention to the sounds. Yeah, um, I was I was going to ask you about that because uh, you, you know you mentioned like you know uh, more often than not like you don't get excited until you're actually like kind of laying your hands on the animal because you've you don't have that you know, oh my gosh, there's a deer or there's an algae. I mean, whatever it is, you know, and mm-hmm. then, cause immediately it's like, it's that, it's kind of that feedback loop in your brain of, mm-hmm. you know, okay, now you're seeing the animal, but now you're checking it out. It's like, Ooh, those are big antlers or, or, you know, how do I judge it? Or, you know, I mean, there's so many guys who are like, you know, boiling the animal down to, you know, a number because of the inches of antler, or, you know, mm-hmm. how, to, how to gate, Oh, I'm not going to shoot, you know, unless I see a 350 or oh. something, but you know, I mean, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's great to hear you say that, you know, I mean, you still in a way maybe kind of get buck fever or, or, you know, mm-hmm. something like that because of, because of the auditory cues, um, or, you know, kind of some situational experience that, that, oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's getting really cool. So, well, you know, one of the things that for somebody with a disability, um, and of course this varies per person, but you know, any animal you harvest is a trophy. I don't care if you if you shoot a you know honestly for me right now I don't care if I shoot a spike buck or a spike a spike bull or you know a little, little pronghorn or a little you know a little forkhorn something I I, that, I don't any animal for me is a trophy I'm happy with whatever I get I've never been an antler hunter I I, I I've never been I, I always want the meat for me you know the best trophy is a, a steak and a beer later you know that that's that's the best trophy for me. Um, and so I think with somebody with a disability, I think, I don't want to say you have to change your expectations a little bit, but I guess you have to change your expectations a little bit because you may not have the mobility to get out to, you know, harvest a huge deer or, you know, a big bull. Um, and if a, if a, a legal animal comes in, you know, by all means, take it. You know, that's, they're a legal animal for a reason. That means they're still, they're still acceptable to be harvested. And, you know, if, if it's an animal you want to take, then take it. If you want to wait for something big to come by, then by all means, wait. But I think trophy hunting, you know, wanting to get out and get a 400 plus bull, I mean, who doesn't? But, as somebody with a disability where you can't get around um, or things like that, you know, maybe holding out for that animal isn't the best idea. But then again, if you want to, by all means, do it. Right. Well, it's it's interesting to to put it in, in perspective with you like that because, I mean, uh, I think oftentimes, you know, folks will say, you know, any animal you take is a trophy and all that other stuff. But, but I think you put a little bit more saliency and and clarity to that because of your situation where you know literally to put yourself in your to be to put myself in your shoes you know with the disability and the ability to actually get out there and successfully harvest an animal um regardless of what it is or size wise or any of that other stuff i mean it's it's absolutely true you know you you put it in a in a much greater perspective uh, i think in terms of that you know every animal is a trophy so 
I'd be happy with a trophy cow elk. (laughs) (laughs) Boone and Crockett. There we go. Sure. No. And then it just, I think it just puts another facet on that, on that discussion of, of, you know, any and every animal, um, you end up taking, um, being important. One of the things that you, you mentioned earlier was squirrel hunting. I used to love squirrel hunting. Those little things were, you know, I, I, I always like squirrel hunting as a, as a good primer for learning how to, for scouting for, you know, big game. Cause you got to kind of retrain your brain to pick up on the movement and, you know, if a, if a squirrel would burn up a tree, I'd sit there and pick that tree apart with a pair of binoculars trying to find that squirrel. And so that would kind of get you re-intuned to what you look for. You know, I, I really miss that. When I used to hunt, uh, before my before I lost my eyesight, excuse me, um, I I used to be the one that did most of the scouting for uh, the group that went out hunting. I'd, you know, I'd put in for, I'd choose what areas and do most of the scouting and stuff. So we did really well. But yeah. <laughs> Kind of, my apologies, kind of going back to when I first lost my eyesight. And when I was in the hospital, obviously, you know, I, I couldn't see. Everything's dark. Um, and, you know, I had the TV going, but I actually lost a lot of my memory. Um, I, well, okay, three months. That's, that's a lot for me, though. Uh, I don't remember from the date of the accident. Actually, I don't have any memory from when I woke up all the way back to the previous Thanksgiving. So I don't remember Valentine's day, Christmas, new year's. I don't remember any of that stuff. And, but what I do remember is leaving on Thanksgiving day to go on a bull elk hunt in four uh, a. And I remember being out with my friends riding around in my truck and, you know, seeing frozen fog. It looked like glitter in the air. I mean, it was beautiful seeing the elk, uh, sometimes seeing more turkey than elk, uh, things like that. And again, giving my buddies a hard time and, you know, eating banana bread and drinking coffee as we're driving. And I thought, all oh, that was lost to me now. But those memories kind of helped get me through, I guess, I, for lack of a better term, I guess they helped me keep my sanity. I mean, yeah, I had depression. Yeah. I, I was a little depressed, you know, for, um, I was depressed and had the woes me and pity me and, you know, that I guess everybody goes through. But thankfully for me, it was pretty short-lived. It was about a week um, in the hospital. And after that, I'm like, okay, take a deep breath, put your pants on, and let's figure out how and what we need to do to get on with life. I mean, I had my the usual things that I just about anybody would go through. I was worried about my family, my job, my house, my bills, you know, my wife. I, I was just worried about all this stuff. And I figured, okay, you know, life is different now. How can I adapt? That's one of the things I I found about people with disabilities. Um, And I I hate saying somebody is disabled. They're not disabled. They just have a disability. You got to do things differently. But one of the things I noticed with people is they kind of fall into two different categories. One who are bitter at the world because they have a disability and want the world to change for them. Or... The other group is people that are, you know, okay, what do I have to do to fit into the world? So it's two different mindsets. Uh, and thankfully, I, you know, I fall into the later category. I find people that have that second mindset are do better. Uh, you know, they have more fun. And I talk to a lot of people that are, 
you know, essentially mad at the world that they had some kind of injury, whether it was a, you know, a, a mil- in, during military service or an on-the-job injury like mine uh, or, you know, a diving accident. You know, some people just don't get over those things and, you know, life goes on or it doesn't. And if you sit there and dwell about things like that, then life essentially doesn't go on. You can't get past that. Um, thankfully, you know, I still work. Um, I started an organization to help people. Uh, I still get yelled at by my wife. So, you know, life is good. <laughs> life is normal. <laughs> that's a, it's a, that's a pretty good perspective on it. Um, I, uh, I, I would, I'm trying to, to think, you know, obviously you've mentioned a couple things already that, that I'd like to kind of pick up on. Obviously you've started this organization, no excuse hunting and outdoors. But you also mentioned you're a board member with the National Wild Turkey Federation. Mm-hmm. How many, like, are there, are there a bunch of other, it's, because to me, what it sounds like is, is you're telling, you know, folks with a disability that there's no excuse why you can't go hunting or spend time in the outdoors. Um, and at the same time, telling hunters, there's no excuse why even you can't give back, you know, to organizations in the outdoors and conservation, you know, that, that has given you so much already. Right. You know, one of the things about the, like, everybody, uh, I, I was recently at the, uh, in Oklahoma, they had a deer, uh, the NWTF put on a deer conference, and I was there speaking about hunting with disabilities, and I was having a, a chat with one of the guys there named Bobby, and he sees on Facebook all the time that, you know, the National Wild Turkey Federation isn't doing anything about this, or, and I've seen it on other websites, you know, um, elk societies aren't doing this or Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation's not doing this. Um, the deer, uh, uh, mule deer, uh, organization, MDF, whatever the, the, the organization organization in turn is not doing anything to support what they want to do. Or, you know, in some cases, some are even saying that they don't stand up to Arizona game and fish for certain laws or, you know, changes that, that have come through. And, you know, as Bobby told me, he goes, well, wait a minute. No, you know, the, the NWTF, you are the NWTF if you're a member. If you're a member, you speak up, tell people things. You know, your voice as part, as part of a group is huge, and you need to speak up. You know, support these organizations. Even if you're not into hunting and you like to do things in the outdoors, buy a hunting license, buy a fishing license, because by buying those licenses – that's what supports the game and fish and the societies and, you know, the taxes from that, from firearms purchases, uh, outdoors gear, go to help support wildlife in your area. So, you know, PETA says they do a lot for, for animals. Yeah, let them go buy a hunting license. And, you know, that's how you support things. Yeah. Well, like I said, um, so we know you're a board member on WTF. Mm-hmm. Is there any other boards, no organizations you're part of? No, no, NWTF, and then uh, well, I am a member with the uh, Arizona for Sportsman, uh, Arizona Sportsman for Wildlife Conservation. Uh, I'm I'm a m- member of that, so I, I sit on on their meetings. Um, but no, you know, pretty much, um, even though I'm a small organization, there's a lot to running an organization. It's it. It takes a you know quite a bit of time, a lot of phone calls, um, talking to people, trying to find uh, companies that will 
you know, allow me to purchase items at a discount or wholesale. Um, so that way I can use them to put them in the hands of somebody that needs them. Uh, somebody with disabilities, if they need a, you know, a scope for a rifle, I can help them out. Um, you know, optics, things like that. So I try to get work ways to get gear into the hands of the people, but I also sell some of the gear at a discount and, you know, all the proceeds go right into no excuse hunting. So I'm constantly trying to see if other companies will allow me to do that. Uh, some, some do, some are great. Some are really easy to do things with, um, others, you know, not so much, uh, but there's, there's always, and, you know, trying to do things with fundraisers. I mean, you know, right now I'm running a fundraiser and it's just, it, all that stuff just takes a lot of time. Yeah. It's amazing. And, you know, really it's just me doing it. Um, we've got some volunteers that help out. Uh, and I've got a, a, a couple of board members that help out, but really it's, it, most of it falls on my shoulders and if I, if I didn't know that it would take this much time to actually do this, I may have had second thoughts about it, but no, nah, it's, it's good. I mean, when I, when I started no shoes hunting, I was also going, started taking classes at ASU to try and get a different college degree to work, you know, so I could get a better job and, you know, make sure I had things. Um, so yeah, I'm always doing something. <laughs> I, it's funny. I, I got to stay busy at the house because if I get bored, I'm the kind of guy that'll take the blender apart to see how it works and get and have my wife really get irritated. <laughs> so yeah, I've got to do something. All right. Well, so it's, now it's time for me to tell a little bit of a story. Okay. So, so the listener may be wondering, okay, John, how how did you meet or get introduced to Dan? And so this is, I was, I'm hoping actually this podcast is, is part one of possibly a part two here later on this year. But, um, so Me one too. morning, one morning my phone rings and, uh, <clears throat> this good buddy of mine, Chip, um, who is a member of the Sportsman for Wildlife Conservation, as well as a bunch of other things too. He's super involved. And, uh, he said, Hey, he's like, uh, you're, you're, you're the guy. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, what, what does that mean? He's like, he's like, so there's a member of our board who drew a crane tag and we need to be able to get him out and, and hunting cranes and, and you're the guy. I mean, like you're, you're the, the, the crane guy out here. So I said, okay. Um, I said, who is he? He's like, well, his name is Dan Ferraro. Um, but incidentally he's blind. And I was like, that kind of like just sunk into my head for a second. I had to sit there. For, I was like, uh, okay, now how's this going to work? And, well, well, I hadn't even gotten to that point yet. And I'm like, I'm like, what, what is going on? And, uh, I was like, you know what? I was like, no, no, I did like, like immediately my, my brain switched to, no, there's no question. I have to take you on this because I, I not only would, would I see it as a super challenge. Cause, cause I think I honestly, and I'm just, I'm going to make this prediction. I, I'm going to throw this out there and say that you're probably going to be the first blind person to shoot a Santa crane. That's, that's my, it's, it's, it's that's going to, even if it's not true, that's what we're going to say. It's true. <laughs> but for me, it was, it was, as I, as I, I heard the conversation is, you know, like all of a sudden it started to develop. I was like, 
exactly as I said, okay, how would I shoot with my eyes closed? How would I shoot a crane with my eyes closed? Because they're not exactly the easiest thing in the world to shoot to begin with. And I'm like, now imagine I have to tell somebody how to shoot crane who can't see. Like, I was like, this, you know, this might be the ultimate test for any sandhill crane hunter who thinks they're worth their salt out there. <laughs> you know, like, okay, you think you're, you're good. Like you can bring them into any field. You're good at calling. You can, you know, I mean, now you're going to get someone else to, to shoot crane, but they can't see. And I was like, I was like, this is just absolutely the ultimate test of, of my own hunting abilities and, and, and skills. Like I was like, I'm in, I'm so in. And so I called Dan at that point and I remember one of the questions you asked me, like, are you like interested in, in, you know, asking any questions about like how this works? And I'm like, no, no, I'll figure that out later. Like, I just want to let you know that I'm in, I'm going to call the buddies. We're going to, we're going to rally a bunch of folks and, and like, we're going to make this happen because I think it's just going to be absolutely epic when we get out there on the Sanio Crane hunt. But you know, uh, what's funny is a lot of people say hunting with me is a lot of fun because it's like playing deer hunter, the video game for real. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. You know, I've, I've never been crane hunting before. Um, yeah, I think I, I'll bring a lot of shells. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and, it, and it's good, you know, like as you, as you had mentioned earlier, one of my philosophies when I, when I teach, um, when I taught a lot of my friends how to duck hunt for the first time, I had a rule. I said, look, if there's a bird and it's worth shooting at once, it's worth shooting at all three times. Okay. Like just unloading it. And nothing is more true than that than Sandhill Crane because they're tough birds. And depending on like, it, it's so weird because, because they're so big, right. And, and it's hard to judge distance and you're using a shotgun and you might be shooting steel or you might be, you know, shooting something else. So for past shooting, like, you know, it's hard to figure out lead times. Because you're trying to judge, you know, how much lead to give it, but it's a giant bird and you really can't, you know, I mean, you got to get really good at judging how far away they are and how fast they're moving. They don't look, it's, it's kind of like those big jumbo planes that don't look like they're moving at all in the sky. And you're like, how is it even flying? But they're actually like cooking pretty quick. It's the same thing with cranes. Like every time I look at them, everyone's like, oh, look at that slow, graceful movement. I'm like going, those things are booking it at like 50 miles an hour. I mean, they're flying about as fast as a dove is. It just doesn't look like it because mm-hmm. of how their size, you know? Um, but the good news is, is I've, I've gotten pretty good as of late in, in more recent years about being able to bring those birds right into decoys and getting them on the, like we bring them in real tight and close and, you know, darn near on the ground by the time we're shooting them. So, so when, when we're talking about going on this hunt, are you, are how do you plan on hunting? Do you think we're going to be in like a blind where we can stand up? Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay, good. Then that, that'll be easy then. Yeah. Yeah. No, our, our goal usually is, you know, we'll, we'll have some scouting and all that, you know, just mm-hmm. to, to see how the birds are flying and where they are. And, and it, just because birds are going to this field today, <laughs> there's a high likelihood they might be there tomorrow, but it's not a hundred percent. Right. So, yeah. you know, like what we always try to do now is to put ourselves as close to the X as possible. You know, and, and when we do that, like, you know, we'll kind of watch the birds all day. We want to watch the morning flight cause we want to know where they're going to feed first thing. And that's kind of a good indicator, you know, kind of sit through the morning, watch, you know, see how the birds kind of pile around, move around, maybe check them out. And then we just kind of wait it out. You know, we got to wait till the end of the day. We don't mess with any birds on fields until they fly off. 
and then the work begins. So like once the birds are all gone for the evening, might be getting dark, like we move in and start building blinds. Like, okay, you know, it's, it, the good news is, is I was a combat engineer in the army. And so it's, it's almost like war gaming. It's kind of the same thing. So like, you know, combat engineers, we build the battlefield. Stratego for coin. Yeah. We, we, we decide how the fight's going to go down and where, you know, on the battle. I mean, that's, that's really a combat engineer's job. And so the goal is, is is to create that battlefield. And and we do the same thing with cranes. We're going to create the hunt. And so it's okay. Where's the best place to put the, um, the blind, you know? how are we going to situate decoys? Cause decoys have, you know, a number of purposes, not only to put birds where you want them, but also to keep them away from areas you don't want them at. And, you know, it, there's, there's a lot of strategic thinking in there. What was it? What was the, 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 the Bush era, um, ism? It was, it was strategery or strategery. <laughs> there's a lot of strategery <laughs> that goes into crane hunting. So, um, yeah, so, so we're, I've already, I've already been talking to a bunch of folks and, and, uh, you know, kind of planning around when this hunt's going down in early December, um, so that we can, you know, really, really dial us in. And so hopefully we'll record another podcast at crane camp with Dan, like hopefully right after, you know, successfully taking, um, a bunch of birds after I'm br- brushing crane feathers off of me. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, you know, I, I think one of the things that we talked about me duck hunting, and the way I did the duck hunting was, you know, I tried using Tacticam and having somebody look at the screen and talk me in on it, but that just wasn't fast enough. The communication wasn't fast enough. Right. And so what they did was I had a, a Primo shooting stick and I rested my shotgun on that and Chance um, Wallagra in uh, Texas got behind me and he turned my shoulders to track the, the, the duck and then he'd tell me up, down, up, down, and then when to shoot. And then I'd, you know, shoot. Uh, <laughs> I was double tapping ducks. Right. And, you know, that was successful. I was able to get two teal in the air and two on the water. Um, and I'll be honest, that was my first blind duck hunting. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to this. I, I, I can't tell you, it's going to be fun. Yeah, no, I'm I'm super excited about it too. Um, there's there's all kinds of puns I'm suppose I suppose you could make about being blind in the blind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a blind hunter. No, really, let me explain. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so you know, one of the things I wanted to say was you know, kind of going back to some places for hunting. One of the things, one of the reasons why we I I like taking people to Oklahoma to hunt is because they're you can hunt over a feeder here. You can't, but there you can hunt over a feeder. You can harvest, you know, multiple deer. Like when I go on the archery hunt, you can take three deer, you know, three does or one buck and two does, you know, whatever. And it really gives the opportunity. So if you can't get a tag here in Arizona, you can't draw a tag here in Arizona. There's other States and they're, they're not expensive to go to. Not that I'm trying to drive anybody away from Arizona, but there are opportunities out there. And, you know, with my organization, we'd like to help people. But if I can't, if I'm not, excuse me, a good fit, there's a lot of organizations out there that'll help people. There's, um, um, oh, Roar Rediscovering Outdoor and Recreation. Uh, they're based out of, I think he's in like North Carolina. Uh, then there's Accessible Hunter. 
they're in um, Pennsylvania, uh, and there's um, oh, he's gonna kill me. I can't think of why I'm forgetting Chad Chad Wallagra's um, uh, name or the the name of his organization. Um, but there, there's a lot of great organizations. If I can't help for some with something, then I'll refer somebody else. Uh, to another group. Um, you know, by all means, if you're a disabled veteran, check with the disabled veteran groups. There's a lot of them. Here in Arizona, you know, there's a Outdoor Experience for All, and they, they, they're a great organization. They help with kids, and they help with um, um, disabled veterans. And then there's um, the Arizona Elk Society, and they've got their Heroes Rising. Uh, that's a great organization that helps people. And there's, there's others, you know. Um, I'm a much smaller organization. So we, you know, we don't help as many people, but we fill in a gap where we can. Right. No, there's uh, programs I've, I know um, with this upcoming dove season, there's usually like a special wounded warriors hunt down in Yuma. Mm-hmm. Um, they take guys out and, and uh, uh, do these dove hunts. I mean, there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of resources um, out there and available for folks who, you know. Yeah. And the, and the national wild Turkey Federation, they even have their, uh, they're, they're Wheeland Sportsmen, which is a, a national group. And, you know, they, they're actually putting on a dove hunt here at, uh, I think, Robbins Butte coming up here for, for dove for people with dis- disabilities. There's the kids' um, dove hunt that's coming up there. And uh, I think they're even having a WIDO, Women in the Outdoors, or I'm not sure exactly what it stands for, but they, they you know, trying to get women in, interested in hunting just to really enjoy the outdoors. Not to mention, it, doves are tasty. <laughs> it seems kind of ironic to be hunting the bird of peace, but you know. Hey, well, you know the funny thing is, is, is while doves are the bird of peace, pigeons are the bird of war. <laughs> Most people don't know that. Um, there's I, World War One. I, I think England only alone used almost a, a quarter of a million passenger pigeons yeah, as like to send messages. messengers as well as spies. They actually outfitted them with vests and they had cameras on them to go fly over the trenches. Um, I didn't you know, know come back. Yeah, it was it, some of the most highly decorated war animals uh, were pigeons. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, more so than horses or or the the bomb dogs or any of that stuff. So, well, I, I heard they had special um, units in the military to shoot down the pigeons. Yeah, yeah, well, that's a job I would have liked to have back then. You know, <laughs> <laughs> here your job is to go hunting, and no, it birds. <laughs> Maybe, so, maybe maybe that's why the Americans had the trench gun, you know. Maybe. <laughs> maybe yeah. It was a misnomer. It was the pigeon gun. <laughs> um, well, Dan, how how do folks uh, find you and find out about you and, and everything else? Sure. My my organization is No Excuse Hunting and Outdoors. Um, but on the website, we are, uh, it's www.noexcusehunting.com. And you can reach me um, via email, dan at noexcusehunting.com. If you got any questions about, you know, getting out and hunting with a disability, uh, if you know somebody with a disability that wants to get out, uh, things like that, you know, reach out to me. If I can't help, I can at least get you some information and get you headed in the right direction um, to try and get outdoors. And, you know, the big thing, like I said, is, you know, it's not necessarily about harvesting an animal, landing a fish. It's just getting out and having fun, enjoying nature. You know, one of the things that we do with my organization is every year we put on a outdoorsman of the year contest and we've had most of the stories we get are about hunting, but I I've had people, uh, for instance, turn in, 
um, a story about being outside doing outdoor photography with a disability. And, you know, so I, anything that gets people into the outdoors is what, what I'm about. Yeah. No. Social media as well. You got Facebook. Yeah, I'm on Facebook. It's no excuse hunting um, on Facebook. And now I do have issues with Facebook. Obviously, a blind guy on Facebook, you know, it's, it's, it's not that user friendly, um, but I do manage with it. Uh, so if you want to get in touch with me, uh, you can send me a post. But if you send me a Facebook Messenger, yeah, I'm probably not going to get it. Um, so, you know, email me, call me, text me. Uh, my phone number is 480-650-5878. All right. Hey, Mark Zuckerberg, I know you listen to my podcast, so you need to fix your, your stinking platform for, uh, for oh, I've my been friend ha- Danny. <laughs> I've been having problems with Facebook for a while. You know, part of it I can't even log into, and I've tried to get help on Facebook, but yeah, no. Yeah. Well, you know, Zuckerberg listens to my podcast. I think he absolutely has to. So. Oh. <laughs> well, Mark, we got to talk, buddy. Oh. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, that's another episode of From the Backburner Podcast. Um, I uh, thank you guys for joining us. I want to thank Dan for for being my guest today, and uh, we appreciate you. Uh, Go check him out, and we'll see you again in a couple weeks.